0: Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. It'll also be printed in your sermon notes, and we're going to be working through what is considered to be the calling of Jesus' first disciples. So this passage, as we're talking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, really looks at the first followers of Jesus and how they made this transition from being just a fan to being a full-fledged follower of Jesus. I love this passage. It's a beautiful text that really forces us to pause and ask ourselves the tough questions. It forces us to ask the questions of ourselves of, am I actually a follower of Jesus or am I just a fan of everything that he does, this text looks at this question in three different parts. First, we're going to look at the context, or basically what's what's going on up to this point. Then we're going to look at the crisis, or the moment that forces us to ask this question. And then we're going to eventually look at the calling, or what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. So that's really going to be a roadmap this morning that we're going to follow through. Uh, we're going to start here in Luke five, chapter one. So again, uh, please follow along with me as I read this aloud. This is Luke 5, 1 through 3. On one occasion, while the crowds were pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out from them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Here at the very beginning of this passage, we get the background or basically what's been going on up to this point. It really sets the context. If this was a movie, it'd be a lot like those old-fashioned Star Wars crawls where it just lays out everything up to this point so we understand where we are in this passage. So what's been going on? Well, first, we see that this takes place at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus, at this point, has begun, begun to preach. He's actually started to draw crowds in. We see that Jesus has begun to perform miracles, and people are amazed by that. But he hasn't called any disciples yet. The disciples are, right now, uh, basically still doing what they had been doing before Jesus called them. Jesus is a bit of an enigma at this point. People are drawn to him because he's so mysterious. He has this magnetic personality and so crowds are coming rushing in to see him from everywhere second we also see if you look at the first three verse or three words here uh luke starts by saying on one occasion basically what luke is telling us is that this is a story that starts just like any other typical day in jesus's life it was pretty normal for jesus to be out in the countryside just walking and then a large crowd would come out of nowhere would flock around him and would want to hear him preach and hopefully catch a few miracles. So it's not any different than a typical day for Jesus. You see, Jesus never had a shortage of fans. People loved being around Jesus. Jesus had this magnetic personality that people just felt comfortable being around him. They wanted enough of Jesus For their own salvation, but at the same time, they didn't want enough of Jesus to actually change who they were. They were amazed at who this Jesus was. They couldn't really get enough of Jesus. This might sound a little bit irreverent, but it's almost like Jesus was a rare exotic animal in the zoo. And people would come from all over the the countryside to see this person who they had never seen anything like it before. A lot of fans but not a lot of followers. As long as Jesus was remaining loving, as long as Jesus was proclaiming the the love of God without demanding a change, without demanding more of them, they were going to be there. Sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? Sure, the people might not show up in the churches in droves, but we have plenty of people who like the idea of Jesus, who like being a fan of Jesus. Several years ago, while I was in college, there was one year where a friend of, I, a friend of mine and me, we got thrown in charge of being in the leaders of our student section for the basketball team. And so we were the really crazy people who stood in the front, uh, dressed up in costumes, who painted our faces and our chests, who wore jerseys and all that kind of stuff, and got everyone else really excited for the basketball team. I was the biggest fan of our basketball team, but at the end of the day... I was just a fan. I never showed up for practice. The coach never called my number, which was good, frankly, for everyone who was involved. I may have made t-shirts, but I had never shed my own sweat and blood for this team. I may have been a big fan, but at the end of the day, I was just a fan. And being a fan is a relatively low commitment. Same thing can be said about our relationship with the Lord. We may be the biggest fans of Jesus on earth. We may show up for church every single Sunday excited to meet with him. We may have the largest Bible around. We may have the giant K-Love bumper sticker on the back of our cars. But at the end of the day, are we just fans of Jesus? Or is our faith costing us? Are we sitting on the sidelines saying, yay Jesus, or are we in the game? Or our faith actually cost us? And here the very beginning of our text, before we get really into the meat of it, we have to ask ourselves the tough question that we have to be gut-wrenchingly honest with ourselves and say, Am I just a fan of Jesus? In his book, Not a Fan, this one pastor named Kyle Eidelman. Uh, goes through different questions that we can ask ourselves to to figure out whether we are a fan or a follower of Jesus. And he he gives us several of these. I just want to read four of them real quick. The first question that he gives us to ask whether we are a fan or a follower of Jesus is, have I made a decision for Christ or am I committed to Christ? In other words, have I made a one-time decision that Jesus is going to be the, the thing that's going to get me out of hell? Or have I decided to commit my entire life to following Jesus? Second question he asks is, Do I know about Jesus? Or do I know Jesus? In the same way, I know about plenty of people. I know about LeBron James. But I don't know LeBron James in the same way that I know my wife. Do we know facts about Jesus? Or do we actually know and have a relationship with him? Third Is Jesus one of many, or is he our one and only? Do we just take Jesus and do we throw him on to everything else that we have in our lives? Or do we say, Jesus, you are the most important thing in my life, and I'm going to submit everything else under your control? And the fourth question that that he asks us to to answer for ourselves is this. Are we focused on the outside or on the inside? Am I focused only on having the appearance of Of being holy? Or is God at work in my own heart? These are the questions that we have to ask ourselves that begin to help us wrestle through and try to understand whether we are just followers or that we are just fans or whether that we are followers. And that's the question that we get to right here is that, am I seeking Jesus as a fan or as a follower? This is a very important question that we have to ask ourselves. Am I seeking Jesus as a fan or a follower? And it really sets the context, it sets really the foundation for the rest of our discussion this morning. So let's continue here in Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 7. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will lay down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They, singled, they signaled to their partners and the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Here, at this point, we really begin to see some action taking place. This is the crisis moment, as I talked about earlier. And just a side note, if you look in verse 1, it talks about why the crowd came to listen to Jesus. The crowd came to see Jesus because they wanted to hear Jesus the word of God. There are a number of people who probably came to Jesus because he performed miracles and they wanted to see something really cool that they could tell their friends and their family. There are also a lot of people who came because Jesus was an incredibly gifted communicator and they wanted to hear the word of God proclaimed. Same thing can happen to us today in the church. There are a number of people in the church who are incredibly gifted communicators who bring us God's word each and every day. But just because there's a crowd doesn't mean that there are followers. So Jesus begins this uh, really dialogue with Peter himself. And after focusing on everyone in the crowd, he decides now to just focus on one person. And that one person is Peter himself. You see, a lot of people think that this was the first time that Jesus and Peter had, uh, Simon Peter had uh, crossed paths. But we see in Luke chapter 4 that they already knew each other. That Jesus had actually already come to Simon's house and that Simon's mother-in-law had actually already been healed by Jesus. So he had already seen a miracle happen by Jesus' own hands. At this point, Simon was basically just a fan of Jesus. It's not really that surprising if we understand that they had already crossed paths, that, that Simon had already seen what Jesus had done. And that It's not that surprising that Jesus asked Simon to use his boat, and Simon was all for it. After all, if someone who was famous came in here, let's just say Denzel Washington or George Clooney or whoever your favorite actor is, let's say they walked in right now and they asked everyone for a pin, or someone for a pin. Now, besides the fact that everyone probably would stop paying attention to me and start paying attention to the fact that Denzel Washington just walked in here, which would be kind of okay, I mean, after all, I'd probably go and talk to him too, but... Everyone would try to give him their pen so that they they could tell people in the future that they had given their pen to Denzel Washington. That they had let him borrow their pen. In the same way, Simon is wanting to let Jesus use his boat so that way he can show Jesus that he is a great fan of Jesus. As I mentioned Jesus begins this dialogue with Simon in order to draw him deeper because at this point, Simon is just a fan of who Jesus is. And Jesus isn't satisfied with people just being fans. Jesus wants more from us. but More importantly, Jesus wants more for us. So he begins this conversation with Jesus, trying to draw him closer, draw him deeper in a relationship with him. The same thing can happen to us. See, Jesus wants more for Simon, but he wants more for us, but he knows also that if we need to take that first step, if we need to be the ones who start the transition from fans to followers, we're never going to make it on our own. So Jesus is the one who begins the interaction with him by starting this conversation with him, by starting to get in his boat and then have a dialogue, having this conversation with him. It's here that we begin to see What it really means to follow Jesus. See, I'm sure that Simon jumped at the opportunity to see Jesus in this way. After all, he had just gotten done having a pretty poor night of fishing. And this was an opportunity for him to show Jesus that he was actually competent. Even if it was something as little and small as pushing the boat out onto the water and keeping it steady while Jesus preached to the crowds. So imagine how shocked Simon would have been when Jesus asked him to put down the nets. It's almost as if we can hear Simon saying, Jesus, just who do you think you are? I understand that you are a great man, that you are a great teacher of God's word, that you know a lot about theology, that you know a lot about God and stuff. But I know a lot about fishing. I know the best time to fish is at night, and I just got done fishing, and it didn't really work out at night. I know the best places to go fishing in this lake. I don't just go randomly out into the deep to go fishing. Who do you think you are? And who do you think that you are talking to? The title that Simon uses for Jesus in this point really tells us a lot about his relationship with Jesus. He calls Jesus master or teacher or rabbi. These are other words that can be used to refer to this. At the end of the day, Simon was a huge fan of Jesus, but he just thought that Jesus was a great man. He was a great teacher, maybe even a great prophet, but at the end of the day, he was just a man. A great man, yes, but a man nonetheless. That's probably what makes his response so incredible. As we know, as we just read, Simon decides to put the nets in the water. Now we can interpret this as basically an exasperated concession, almost like saying, all right, Jesus, it's not going to work, but you know what, I'm just going to do what you want just to prove you wrong. We can interpret this as a form of just trying to please Jesus. Like, Jesus is the captain for the day, and no matter what he says, we're going to do it, even if it doesn't work. But at the end of the day, that's not what it's all about. Simon responds because he wants to be obedient to what God has asked from him. And obedience, following what God wants for us, is the first thing that we have to recognize about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. See, God wants us to be obedient to him. Wants us to be obedient to him when it makes sense. Wants us to be obedient to him when it doesn't. Wants us to be obedient to him when it's a part of our plan. Even when it's not a part of our plan. He calls for unconditional obedience. That's a little bit like what our situations are every single day. You see, this passage, these few verses really give us an example of the situations that face us each and every day. See, each and every day is filled with Hundreds and maybe even thousands of crisis points or crisis moments where we can make a decision that is either going to allow us to be obedient to God or to be disobedient to him. And how we respond in these moments of crisis reveals to us, reveals to other people if we are fans or followers. How we respond in these moments of crisis reveals to us if we are being fans or followers. See, we are faced with times where we have to make a decision on whether we are going to be obedient to what God wants for us or whether we are going to ignore what he wants for us. There are times where we are watching TV and something that comes on to the television that we know isn't glorifying to God. And in that moment, we have the option of changing the channel or turning it off or continuing to watch what is on the TV. It's an opportunity for us to be obedient. It's an opportunity for us to be disobedient. Same thing if we are in school and everyone else is picking on one of the other kids, we have the opportunity to just fit in with the crowds or to stand up for that person. We are given opportunities each and every day to draw closer to God, to become more obedient to God, or to draw further away from him. If you ever noticed someone like uh, Billy Graham, how he got to the astounding level of faithfulness that he has in his life, it's because he was faithful in being obedient in each and every day of his life. See, when we decide to become obedient to God, when we are faced with one of these moments and we have to choose between following God or following our own will. If we choose to follow him, it makes following him easier in the future. It becomes an ingrained habit. It becomes a part of who we are. It really just becomes momentum and a force of habit. The opposite is true, too. If we decide to ignore God, if we decide to go our own way and not be obedient, it makes it, to be, it makes it easier to be disobedient in the future. In Scripture, it talks a lot about having a hard heart. If you ever wondered what it means to have a hard heart, well, it's basically continuing, continuing to make decisions that go against God's will for our lives. And eventually... Our hearts become hardened. It makes it basically impossible for us to follow God, to make that transition from fan to follower. It's hard for us to turn around. And in those moments, each and every one of us has, we have the chance to be a fan of Jesus or a follower of Jesus. Let's keep reading and read the rest of our passage here. But when Simon Peter saw it, This last passage, this last section, we really begin to see what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're going to camp on this for the rest of our time this morning and look at what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. And what we're going to see is that there are four different things in this passage that talk about what it means to follow Jesus. And the first thing is that followers of Jesus recognize who they are. Followers of Jesus recognize who they are. Notice what Peter responds with after this miraculous catch of fish. After seeing this miracle happen, he doesn't say, wow, Jesus, that was really cool. Can you do that again? He doesn't pull out his phone and say, I'm going to put this on Instagram. He looks at Jesus and he says, get away from me. Because I'm not worthy to be in your presence. It's the same response that people in the Old Testament had when they were in God's presence. We look at the story of Moses when God was calling him to follow and to lead the people out of Egypt. Moses begins to make excuses and gets really all scared and says no God send someone else because I'm not worthy of doing that. We look at the story of Gideon. Gideon literally thought he was going to die because he had been in God's presence. Look at the story of Mo or of Isaiah and Isaiah actually begins to call curses on upon himself saying woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips and I am from a people of unclean lips. He knew who he was in relationship to a good and holy God. And the same thing is true of us this morning. We have to recognize who we are before we can take that first step as being a follower of Jesus. We have to recognize who we are. We have to recognize not in just some hypothetical sense that we are messed up, but rather deep in our bones. We have to realize that we have screwed up a lot. We have to recognize, as it says in Scripture, that every inclination of our heart is towards evil. And if it weren't for God holding us back, that's where we would end up. It's only from that point that we can recognize that we are beginning to become followers of Jesus. Second, followers of Jesus recognize who Jesus is. Notice here, after the miracle, this title change that takes place. Before the miracle, Simon had called Jesus Master. Or teacher or rabbi, but after he calls him Lord. Now, in the book of Luke, just about every single time that the word Lord is used, it's actually referring to God Himself. What Simon is saying here saying that Jesus is God himself. Jesus isn't just some guy who can do some pretty sweet magic tricks. Jesus isn't just some guy who can draw a crowd to him because he's a good speaker. Jesus is God himself because no one else has that kind of, cre- uh, has that kind of power over creation. Jesus is God himself. And for us to become followers of Jesus, we have to recognize that same thing, that Jesus is God. That might not sound like that's that big of a deal for us this morning. After all, we've got thousands of years of church history to back us up on that. But if you think about what God requires of his people in the Old Testament, it's obedience. See, it's actually logically inconsistent for us to be fans of Jesus. It doesn't make any sense for us to try to follow Jesus as a fan just half-heartedly. As we look at what scripture says. There's this one uh, f- pastor and former missionary named Paul Washer. And he, he tells a story uh, just made up about basically how this works in our lives. Imagine that you're walking in the Smoky Mountains. And you are walking along the interstate. Don't worry about the fact that it's illegal to actually walk along an interstate. But you're walking along the interstate and you see lots of these log trucks pass by. You know, those l- large trucks that are carrying logs. And you're going about 70 miles per hour, and you don't really think much of it. But then as you're walking along the interstate, you see a couple hundred bucks laying out in the middle of the lane. And so you look both ways, like you're supposed to, and you go and pick up the money, because why not, right? It's a couple hundred bucks. And as you're bending down to pick up that money, slam! A log truck runs into you going 70 miles an hour. Now, in that situation, would you walk away from that encounter with the log truck unchanged, No, of course not. It's a very powerful object. So how can we walk away from an encounter with Jesus unchanged? Because Jesus is far more powerful than a log truck. See, when we look at this passage, we think of this passage as a miracle story, just telling us of some cool thing that Jesus did. But it's far more than that. This passage is what we call a theophany. It is a revelation of who God is. It is a, an appearance of God himself. And when we see God himself in the way that Peter did here and in our own lives, we can't walk away from that unchanged. Followers of Jesus recognize who Jesus is. Third, followers of Jesus are committed to the spread of the gospel. Followers of Jesus are committed to the spread of the gospel. If you look at verse 10, it talks a lot about grace here. See, up to this point, Peter has really cast a curse on himself, saying, God, I'm not worthy to be in your presence, Jesus. And Jesus says, fear not. Jesus, when he says this, is basically telling him, yeah, you're right. You do deserve to perish in my presence because of how wicked you are and how holy I am. But fear not, because I'm going to make a way for it to be possible for you to be in my presence. He's saying the same thing to us this morning as well. He has made a way for us to be in his presence, not through anything that we have done, but only through what he has done, what he came to earth to do for us. We have a way that has been made through Jesus to be in his presence. And because of that good news, we as followers of Jesus are committed to sharing that good news with those who are around us. This passage talks about catching men, and we know all of the old children's songs about I will make you fishers of men, all that kind of stuff, but there's a lot of debate that goes on in these passages among uh, scholars. See, there's a passage in Jeremiah that basically says that God will send out fishermen into the earth to catch men for judgment. And so people begin to wonder, well, is this a passage, or when Jesus is saying this, is he referring back to that? Is he referring back to the passage in Jeremiah, but he's just turning the, uh, turning the passage on its head and saying, rather for ju- than for judgment, we're going to talk about this being for the gospel and for salvation. Other people just look at it and say, well, no, this is just uh, Jesus basically using an illustration of Simon's own occupation and how God is going to use that for the spread of the gospel. So which is it? Well, I think it's the second one for a couple of reasons. First, the gospel is good news. It literally just means good news. And is it really good news for fish to get caught? No, it's not. And second, if this is just an illustration of how we can spread the gospel, it has profound implica- implications for how we connect our faith with our work. Let me explain here. Uh, just looking, I'm, I think I'm the only one here who is in vocational ministry, which means that God has uh, called me to serve as a pastor. And I don't have to work outside of the church uh, to earn a pay because all of my time and resources are dedicated to this church. But that doesn't mean that I'm the only one here who is called to ministry. In fact, each and every one of us as Christians is called to Ministry to serve those who are around us, and what Jesus is saying here when he says, You know what, fear not, I'm gonna make you a catcher of men, I'm gonna have you catching men from here on out. Peter, what he's basically saying is that you are going to use your gifts and your time and your talents as a platform to make an impact in the lives of those who are around you for the spread of the gospel. If Peter wouldn't have gone into full time vocational ministry but would have remained a fisherman. It's a good chance that he would have used his time as a fisherman to share with others about Jesus. If you are a school teacher, God has given you a platform to spread the good news of the gospel with those who are around you. If you are a farmer or a banker or a teacher or whatever it is, God has given you the opportunity and the platform to share the gospel with those who are around us. We're not necessarily required to go to the other ends of the earth to do that. We're just supposed to use our gifts and our callings to share the good news with others. And fourth and finally, followers of Jesus are called to surrender everything to him. Followers of Jesus surrender everything to him. Notice what happens here in this passage when they get done on the lake with the catch of fish. They immediately leave everything and decide to follow Jesus. It doesn't say that they left behind 90% and then they kept the rest of that 10% to themselves. But they surrendered everything on the altar to Jesus and said, It's yours. I'm going to follow you now. And if that sounds unrealistic to you this morning, just impossible, for us to sell everything to Jesus and to go follow him, to to basically have no possessions left. I want to draw your attention to a passage in the Gospel of John. In John 20, we see after Jesus' resurrection that the disciples decide to go fishing. And they're out fishing uh, after Jesus' resurrection, and, and another miraculous catch of fish happens. Uh, that's not what I want to draw your attention to, though. I want to draw your attention to the fact that they are fishing in boats. You see, in Luke 5, they left everything to follow Jesus. They surrendered everything to him. But that doesn't mean that they necessarily sold everything to follow Jesus. Does God call some people to surrender everything to him in that way? Yes. But does he call all of us to surrender everything to him by selling everything? No. If you've read the book Crazy Love by Francis Chan or the book Radical by David Platt, I love these two books. They are great books that really challenge us in our faith and tell us to basically step up and take our faith seriously. But I'm worried about these books. One of the things that that scares me about them is that they can have an unintended consequence for us of thinking that we have to get rid of everything to faithfully follow Jesus. That if we aren't selling everything that we have and moving to the middle of Africa and working among the native tribes there, all while getting hunted by radical Islam, then we're not being faithful and surrendering everything to Jesus. But that's not what this passage is saying. It says that we are supposed to surrender everything to him. And what that looks like for each and every one of us is different. Does that mean that some people are going to sell everything and move to the slums of India? Yes. It doesn't mean that all of us are called to do that. The question that we have to ask ourselves then is, what does it mean for us to surrender everything? And what are the areas of our lives that we are not surrendering to him? For some of us, we might not be surrendering our marriage. We're letting God take care of everything else, but we are going to have our own way in our marriage. Thank you very much. For some of us, it is our work that God can be in charge of every single part of our lives except from the hours of nine to five on Monday through Friday. For some of us, it is the time that we spend in front of the computer screen late at night. I don't know what it is in your life that you need to surrender to Jesus, but I know that he knows, and you probably do too. As Christians, we are called to surrender everything to him. Also just want to draw your attention to the immediacy of their decision here to surrender everything. After they get done uh, out on the water, they come in and they just make a beeline for Jesus right away. There isn't a pause. There isn't a time of waiting. They decide to follow Jesus right away. And if you this morning would consider yourself a fan of Jesus someone who only follows him half-heartedly, but you have every intention of following him full-heartedly as a follower someday in the future, I would encourage you to follow the example of the disciples here as they follow Jesus. And Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What he's saying basically is, if today you have the opportunity to follow Jesus, don't put it off until tomorrow. Make that decision today. Begin that step today by following him. Because as I mentioned earlier, the longer that we choose to ignore him, the longer that we choose to go our own way, the harder it is for us to turn around and follow him. And the crisis moments that we have in life, let us draw closer to him rather than to drift away from him. And friends, that's what this last section is really all about. That following Jesus is the only response to a true encounter with him. Following Jesus is the only response to a true encounter with him. Just like the log truck, which is kind of a silly metaphor. I understand that. Uh, Just like the log truck, when we encounter Jesus, we cannot walk away unchanged. Friends, when we encounter Jesus, we walk away radically transformed. We walk away radically transformed. And so the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, have I encountered him? Have I encountered him and decided to follow him like what we see in Scripture? This invitation is open to all of us. There's no one who is excluded from it. One of the most famous missionaries to China, if not the most famous missionary to China, is this man named Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor, when he was alive, was was being asked by people how he had made the decision to follow Jesus to China. And how he had given up and sacrificed so much, how he surrendered so much of his life to follow Jesus to China. And he looked at the person who asked him that question, and he just simply said, God isn't looking for people of great faith. He's looking for individuals who are ready to follow him. God is not looking for people of great faith. He's just looking for individuals who are ready to follow him. It doesn't take a great faith to follow Jesus. It just takes the willingness to follow. Sure, it's going to cost a lot at times. Sometimes it's going to be hurt, it's going to hurt, and it's going to be uncomfortable. But it's worth it to follow him. That's what we see in his word. Jim Elliott, another missionary, uh, pointed, he was one of the most famous missionaries of, of America in the early 20th century, uh, mid-20th century. And in fact, he actually gave his life for the gospel as he was bringing the gospel to this uh, tribe in South America. And they actually killed him as he was proclaiming the gospel to him. An incredible story. I uh, really encourage you guys to, to look up the story of Jim Elliott because this tribe, after they killed him, actually all became Christian. And it's now one of the most uh, Christian tribes in South America. But he gives us a picture of what it means and what it really looks like to surrender all to Jesus, to sacrifice it all, to go to the ends of the earth and to lay it all out there. And for God to ask for it all from him. But his brother, Bert Elliott, is a name that we probably haven't heard of before. See, Bert Elliott was just like his brother in that he went to South America to be a missionary. But unlike his brother, who was killed in this incredibly moving story, Bert ministered in South America for 50-plus years. He was a radical follower of Jesus, just like his brother. And during those times, he planted over 170 churches with his wife. And Bert, when he was asked about his brother, described him as a great meteor streaking through the sky someone who burned brightly for the gospel, who truly did sacrifice it all in addition to surrendering it all. Friends, odds are most of us are not going to be like Jim Elliot. Most of us are probably going to be like Bert, who are faint stars, who consistently, habitually, faithfully rise each night, serving as fathers and husbands as wives and mothers and our jobs each and every day. The calling that God has for us to follow him, to surrender everything to him, is most likely going to be extraordinarily ordinary. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be willing to go to the ends of the earth. In fact, I pray that God would raise up people even from this group who would go to the ends of the earth to serve him in that way. But God has given us an opportunity and a platform to serve him exactly where he has us right now. The question we have to ask ourselves is if we are willing to let him do that. Friends, be a follower of Jesus, not just a fan. Seek him by surrendering it all to him. And let him use you in the positions that you are in. Proclaim his name among the nations. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the good news of the gospel and how you allow us to take part in the proclamation of your word. And God, I pray that you would help us to make the transition from fan to follower in our own lives, so that way we can be more faithful in the areas that you have given us. God, give us the courage to be obedient when you call for obedience. Give us the courage to serve you in all that we do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.